Blog Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining and Jeremy Dunn. They'll be taking your calls and speaking on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Uh, I'm like the Jeremy. <laughs> Why are you Jeremy laughing at me? Because <laughs> you got it at like the last second. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't read. Okay, so here's what here's the bad. Here's here's what's bad about that whole thing is I'm sitting here dialing, and I'm like, oh wait, that's the wrong number. <laughs> and the number's like staring at me on the screen, right? And I dial it like, like every week, but right. yeah. <laughs> I'm smart. <laughs> I'm pretty. <laughs> so just for the first time, listeners, welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host, Robert Brining, and Jeremy Dunn is my co-host. Um, you can learn more about me at pauseim.com and Jeremy at positivelyspeaking.com. And Jeremy, you'll put that link in the web, in the chat for them? Sure. Do you want yours yeah. in there, too? Yeah, you can do that. That's cool. Um, tonight we have um, a special guest on. It's one of our members of the Pause I Am community, so I'm kind of excited. I always like to get the members to come on and share their stories because for me, it's important. I mean, that's the purpose of why, you know, I created Pause I Am. I wanted people to share their stories openly and the radio show just gives a platform for it. And you know what, Jeremy, I just thought of this. Um, Scott, I have to give Scott Kramer from New York a big shout out and a hug because he downloaded all the radio shows for me and sent them to me on a DVD because my computer is so slow and when you do them off of iTunes, it's faster when right. you download them, and I think you can download multiple ones. Well, I don't have an iPod. I'm out of date, I know. But you don't have an iPod? I don't have an iPod. Okay, collective laugh. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. So, so he did that for me, so I just wanted to say thank you to him for that on air. Uh-huh. But the interesting thing about it is today is our 55th show. Really? Yeah. Like, I know in April we started doing two a week, uh-huh. so I know that kind of like made it get bigger, but today is number 55. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't believe we, it. We, we could be like retired. Right. <laughs> I think that's retirement age, isn't it? Like 55? No, it's 65 now. Well, actually, the funny thing is, is my father, um, love my dad, is retiring tomorrow. And um, that, well, you know, the number of years that we've been putting, you know, doing things, and I'm bringing this up because I do have a point. Um, <laughs> but he worked for 35 and a half years for in the same, doing the same thing. I mean, he's obviously wasn't the same position, but he's done done it for 35 and a half years. And I'm and I've and I, that got me thinking about what we're doing here. It's like, my mm-hmm. God, some of us who have been diagnosed have been diagnosed for over 20-plus years. Mm-hmm. Some of us are going to be reaching that 35-year mark sooner than, than we know. Right. And isn't that amazing? Of course it is. Where, where it was 28, almost 30 years ago when someone was diagnosed, um, you were dead in three years. So I mean, just look at what we've what we've been through and what where we are today. I and mean, it's just so I know my that, that's that's how I think. You know, that's how I link things. Very random, <laughs> but that, you know, it's like oh my god, my dad's retiring. Ah, you know, and so it, it, it that put some perspective in place. It's like when my dad started working. AIDS wasn't even um, wasn't discovered yet, and it's right. just, it, it's it's crazy. It is. Um, let me just see here. I'm waiting for our guest to call in, and let me tell you a little bit about Steve Albert for people out there who are listening to this 
in the archives and maybe not in um, live right now. Steve Albert was diagnosed um, HIV positive in 1988. His partner at the time died of complications of AIDS in November of 89. So probably close to a year after his diagnosis, he lost his partner. His mom was his biggest support system outside of the AIDS Committee of Toronto, ACT. She passed away in 1992. And after meeting his current partner, he relocated to a small town north of Toronto, where he came up against a lot of ignorance and fear and was subsequently fired from a job. With the help of the local ASO, which is the Peters, Petersburg AIDS, Peter Burrow, sorry, AIDS Resource <laughs> Network, or, or PARN, Steve was able to speak at a town meeting and help in educating the locals. Steve continued to do volunteer work for this organization until he moved back to Toronto with his partner in 2005. At that point, Steve decided to go to school and obtain a, dipl a diploma in social work. After graduating, Steve was diagnosed with hepatitis C, at which point he elected to take the interferon treatment. The treatment was very difficult, and for a year he was unable to function up to his normal potential. However, after it was completed, Steve was cleared of the virus, so it made it all worth it. And with that, I am going to bring Steve Albert on the line. Steve, welcome to Podlam Radio. Ignore the train. Hi there, Robert. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. And there it goes again. Hi, Scott. <laughs> Steve. How are you? It's Scott. Who the hell is Scott? <laughs> what? Okay. I was just uh, talking about Scott. Oh, that's exactly what it was. Oh my God. The train goes by and I get all flustered. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I've been trying to stay in a sealed room, so I'm not getting any uh, background noise here. <laughs> oh, no, Jeremy likes to sit by the window, so the train drives by every week. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, in, I, I'm in my office, you know. My dog is at least being quiet. Ah, right. Well, the only the only refuge I could find was my basement. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you what I have in my basement, but hey, we'll move on. Oh boy! <laughs> well, so I was Steve, going to. Um, be... hmm? Go ahead. Go ahead. You were going to be good. Is oh, that what you were going okay. to say? Okay, I, I was actually I was going to be in the chat in the chat room. However, uh, less than an hour ago, my computer just decided that it had enough. So uh, we're just going to have to rely on the technology of the telephone. There so, you go. That's, yeah. <laughs> but I'm here nevertheless. That works. So um, so people know you are a member of um, the website, the Pazine Community, just so mm -hmm. people can find you. Um, and I know you're on Facebook as well. Yes. What? How did you find Pazine? That's Actually, what I wanted to ask you first. <laughs> it was actually through um, a friend of mine um, on uh, a local site here, and I can't actually remember the URL, but he had invited me on to Pause I Am, and oh, cool. I just kind of never left. <laughs> right? So, I guess you would say word of mouth. There you go. <laughs> That's a good yeah. thing. That's always oh, yeah. the best advertisement. That means you're doing something right. And it's free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Yes. So, um, okay. So, let's and get you're, you're located. Over. You're located where? Um, well, for people not from the area, just say Toronto. But I'm actually in Mississauga, which is just outside of Toronto. Okay. Ooh, Canadian. Yeah, he's our yeah. first Canadian guest. <laughs> Ooh, international. Look at this. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> See that? <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about. Um, when you were diagnosed and, and, and you know, how, how it all began for you? Okay, well, um, actually I was diagnosed, uh, and for some silly reason, I decided to uh, get tested just before the Christmas holidays in um, 1988, and uh, wait, had to wait until after New Year's to get my results. I Don't ask me why I did that, it was just one of those things. And so I got my diagnosis back right after New Year's in 89, and um, I had been with a partner who was positive um, at the time, and uh, just, it really didn't hit me for a while, until um, uh, November of 89 when he passed away, uh, which was, you know, quite a, quite a while later, about nine months later, 
And uh, then all of a sudden it was, oh boy, okay, I guess I'm next. And the reality of it actually hit. And uh, that was, you know, 20 years ago. And I'm, I've pretty much had quite an interesting journey since. Um, and uh, still quite healthy. And how, how much do you want to know here? <laughs> well, the, the question I have is, um, you were just saying that you lost your partner, what, nine months after you after were diagnosed? Yeah. After, after you were diagnosed. Yeah. I can't imagine going through that right after being diagnosed, especially nine months, because for me, I was in denial about the whole thing for the longest time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm sure he was probably the person that you could be the most comfortable with. He was, he was diagnosed before you? Yes. Okay. So, so you were more comfortable, you know what I mean? I guess it may have been a little bit more comforting to have somebody with you when you were diagnosed and then to lose that person because I know somebody in our site just lost their partner and I know oh. how difficult it is when you lose someone. And oh, it, it is. what got you through? Uh, you know, largely it was friends. Uh, my mom was um, a, great, a great support. Uh, she actually was a volunteer um, at the AIDS Committee of Toronto. Uh, so she was in the know, um, and a lot of my friends that I met uh, within the AIDS organization and people just in the, in the gay community who had pretty much been my family of choice. Uh, they had a lot to do with it, and I guess, I don't know, just I went through uh, a couple of years where uh, there was just a lot of alcohol consumption. I mean, I was doing everything I shouldn't have done. Uh, however, for some reason, I continued to survive, and uh, I guess I just sort of, with, with all the support, developed the fortitude. Uh, I, I really didn't think I was going to see 30, and now I'm 46. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, you know, I can't really give a definitive answer. It's, it's, it's a lot of things combined. Um, like you had said, you can't imagine what it was like losing somebody nine months after diagnosis. If somebody were to tell me that now, I would still say I would say the same thing. I'm not entirely sure how I got through it, but I did. Um, right. It's it it's was possible. Uh, it is. It is. It really is. Um, I think you know when you're when you're in the thick of it, it's uh, you're so consumed with it uh, that you you can't really focus on anything else. Uh, when it happened, it just seemed like everything had ended. I can remember going home from the hospital where he had died, and it was a Monday morning. And um, there were, I, I was driving past you know, bus stops, and there were people getting ready, like leaving for work and that, and just thinking, how dare you? You know, the world is going on. Don't they know somebody died? Like it was, it was a very surreal feeling. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the world, and it just seemed like this totally different and foreign place to me. Um, and I, I really kind of thought, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to be part of this much longer. And it's, it's not the healthiest mindset, but... I think that was really the first time I, I could say I experienced a feeling of shock, you know. Um, and there was that feeling that um, could I have done more for him? Could I have been more, you know, insistent on him taking medications and things like Because he reached a point where he just didn't want to do it anymore, uh, which I can understand now. At the time, I didn't. Um, at, all there was was um, the high-dose AZT, which was just making him feel terrible. You know, so uh, there was just so many conflicting emotions, and I didn't understand them until time went by, and I was able to stand back and sort of look at it. You know, and a, a lot of changes have happened since that uh, within the medical community and everything. So um, I think it kind of lit a fire under me too, because I did reach a point where I thought, no, I don't have to. to I don't have to die early. You know, um, so I guess the, some good sort of came out of it. But um, the uh, the person you were talking about who just lost a partner that I wouldn't delineate how it feels at all because it's it is very tra- traumatic and it's it's very hard to to deal with. But um, if this person is listening, I do want you to know that you will get through it and you will come out stronger. You really will. You know, that's that's the biggest message I can send. One of the um guest that we had on earlier, he was an author of a book called um, Love in the Time of HIV, A Gay mm-hmm. Man's Guide to, to, to Sex and, and Things of That, like in an epidemic. The, one of the things that he wrote about was, I guess they call it survivor's guilt. Yes. Yeah. Is that something that you dealt with too? Um, I did. Actually, um, I'd say between the late 80s and 
um, mid to late 90s, I, I can honestly say on average I was going to maybe five funerals a week uh, of friends and, and colleagues and so forth. And <clears throat> actually, survivor guilt was a term, if I'm not mistaken, was actually developed in during World War One, where people went across, went overseas to war with their friends and neighbors and that, and they came back, but the people that went with them had been killed. And there was that feeling of why was I singled out to survive? You know, I was in the same foxhole, you know, kind of thing. And I sort of felt like that. I thought, you know, my friends were, were dying around me like crazy. It was um, like my, my past was being erased. Right. And um, I kind of, I, I felt guilty for it, you know, because particularly in the early years, because in the early years, I really wasn't taking great care of myself. I just, I, for some reason, didn't see the point. But yet, I was still continuing to live when everyone else was dying and really feeling guilty about it and thinking, you know, what is it about me that stands out? Why do I deserve to survive and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so don't? Um, and it's, it's actually a, a psychological um, diagnosis, uh, survivor's guilt. And it's, uh, it's, that's a really difficult one to overcome, and you try to explain it to people um, who are not, you know, in the same community, right. and they really don't grasp it. You know, they think, well, that's a horrible way to think, you know, just be glad you're alive. And I mean, if it were that simple, great, but um, it's, I, I think it sticks, it stays with you, because even today, uh, there are times where I'll think, you know, gee, I remember so-and-so, and, you know, he was taking his medications and eating right and doing all these wonderful things, but you know, within eight months, he died at, you know, the ripe old age of 27. And it, it kind of stays with you, and it really can be crippling. You do have to, um, you really do kind of have to take control of it. Um, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people, at least people anyway, from the veteran HIV-positive people like myself, uh, can probably relate to that. Uh, it's, yeah, uh, I, I think when you explained it as you know, when, like as you explained it to the, the soldiers coming back and having the survivors go up, that, that really explains it the best way for mm-hmm. somebody who's not in the HIV, you know, community to understand what it is. That was, like, mm-hmm. perfect. Well, it's, yeah, it's kind of a, a condition. <laughs> My grandmother, of all people, uh, when she was, you know, in her upper 80s, she said, I'm prepared to have my, um, my contemporaries dying. I'm at that age. When you're in your 20s and 30s, you're just not, I don't know whether it's maturity or what, but you're just not inherently capable to, uh, in dealing with losing people in your age group, uh, particularly to that, uh, to that degree. And I think that's what makes it so difficult. It was, you know, I mean, somebody who lived to 35 was a ripe old age. It was, um, no matter what, you're just not conditioned to deal with, you know, your fellow people in your age group dying. And I kind of thought of it. I thought it made absolute sense, you know. I mean, uh, age 25, 26, I was going to funerals of, of people my age and even younger. And it just, I, it wasn't making any logical sense was the way I saw it, you know. Um, and then the survivor guilt sort of kicks in as a result. And you sort of think, well, you know, well, why am I singled out to live? Um, and uh, it's, I, I can remember them being told that actually by a psychiatrist uh, who specialized in HIV, and that was the first time I'd heard of survivor guilt, and I thought, well, that's a pretty, you know, descriptive um, thing. But it just seemed to make sense. Right. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't think anybody at, at a young age is really equipped to deal with, you know, um, their contemporaries dying like that, you know, particularly when it's something that's that's afflicting you. Yeah, I hear a lot of, you know, long-term survivors like yourself who come on and share, and they tell me, you know, how they were losing all their friends, like going, like you said, five funerals a week, or, mm-hmm. and me, somebody who who's newly diagnosed, I've only been diagnosed since 2001, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and I can't even imagine that. I can't, like, it brings me to tears just to think about my friends around me dying. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I can't even 
I, I can't even imagine it. it. Like it breaks my heart to think that, that that was happening. And so many people went through that without mm-hmm. anywhere for support. Well, you know, because yeah. there wasn't the, the the greatest of supports weren't around. No, it was it was, um, and that was the thing. The other your contemporaries that were HIV positive. I mean, they were they were your support. Right. And of course, they're dying. And I can remember there was groups of us that would be going to these funerals, and we'd all be looking at each other, thinking, "Okay." And it sounds morbid, and it's it's it just you automatically go there. We'd just be looking at each other and thinking, okay, which one of us is going to be the next one to be in that casket? Um, you know, and it just, it, I, thoughts like that shouldn't be going through your mind at that age. And um, it, 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 really, it really can take on sort of a nightmarish uh, kind of uh, feel. And, um, I mean, there's still, of a group of maybe about... 75 people, I guess, that I knew from, you know, the early 80s and on, uh, there's, I think there's four of us left alive um, that I'm aware, that I'm sure are still alive. Uh, wow. So, I mean, that kind of gives you a bit of an idea, and I'm, mine is just one story of many. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, you, like I say, you feel like, like, I mean, I kind of feel like pre-1990 almost didn't exist for me, because so many people from that time are no longer here, you know, I mean, who do you stroll down memory lane with, you know, kind of thing. It affects a lot, a lot more than one would think, you know. And not only that, I mean, they're dying so fast that how do you process five funerals in one week? You know, it's, I, I wound up going to funerals and just sort of going through the motions, but I wasn't feeling anything. I was numb, but I was still grieving, you know, five people back. It was, right. uh, you know, you, you just can't, it's, it's really overwhelming, you know, it's, it's really overwhelming. You know, so wow, I mean, and it, it's just, you're, and not to, and, and when I say this, so it's, you know, the 80s and the 90s were a, a particularly difficult time, I think, for the gay community. Um, oh, yeah. Because here we're reeling with um, reeling with trying to find ourselves and find our own community, and then we get hit with this with this disease. Mm-hmm. And you were hearing this it's God's punishment thing. I mean, your right. self-esteem is under attack as it is. Right. And that just I can remember thinking, okay, you know. Somebody had to throw a monkey wrench into the machine. You know, I was—I had just accepted the fact that I was gay and I was enjoying it. I—I I, I was really quite happy with my life, and this came along, and it was just kind of like, you know, why? I had no idea it was going to become the global global um, issue that it did become. I mean, this was—I'm talking, you know, like 1980 when they were still calling it GRID, gay-related uh, immune deficiency. Um, and it was just this gay cancer they were talking about and thinking, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's, you know, almost, almost too perfect. And, uh, you know, it was, um, when, I was, when I was actually diagnosed, I can remember at times just from out of the blue, I'd sit there and think, my God, that horrible thing that they've been talking about, I have it. You know, it was, um, again, it was kind of surreal. Um, and I went along for quite a while just... Uh, not thinking, you know, it was like, I don't think about it, you know, I, unfortunately I grew up in a family, that's how they handle things. If, if we don't deal with it or we don't talk about it, it'll go away sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So it, 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 was really, it was really a confusing time, but to put a positive spin on it is, not, I wouldn't want to say a spin, but to put, put something positive in it, it did mobilize and motivate a lot of us. That's why we have the AIDS organizations that we have now, you know, because of people from that generation who really didn't have anything except themselves and each other to rely on because the mainstream world was terrified of us. You know, we were, we were these, and there still is in a lot of the mainstream this belief that somebody who's HIV, HIV positive is a pariah of some kind or you know, some sort of a deviant. You've done something to deserve it, essentially. Um, but it did, it did motivate us because we all kind of had to say, look, 
someone's got to take care of us, and if someone else isn't going to do it, we'll have to do it. And, you know, we had to start lobbying the government. Um, I can remember the AIDS Committee of Toronto when it first started was like over top of the KFC. It was this tiny little attic-type office with, you know, like two volunteers. Now it's a huge organization, but it was just the fact that we were able to do that. And I'm very proud of that, you know, um, uh, not that AIDS and HIV is just a gay issue, but it was the gay people that actually started motivating things before government and so forth, um, you know, picked up the ball. Well, thank God that they did or we wouldn't be where we're at today. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you know I, if, when I was diagnosed, if, if I hadn't had places like that to go to, I mean, they really got me through the death of my partner and, you know, the, the other things associated with it. I mean, if I didn't have that, I, I can't really say what would have happened. You know, I mean, it's, it's and I would imagine now, and I, I, I have to think back and remember when somebody is recently diagnosed, I'm, you know, almost thinking to myself, eh, piece of cake, been there, done that, but it's not like that. You know, I have to think back and go, you know what, it was a terrifying experience. You know, it's it's really something that takes time to accept. It's not, you know, um, you get your diagnosis and a week later, okay, yeah, well, that's the way it is, and I'll deal with it. It's not that easy. And without these organizations, I don't know how people, people who were diagnosed before me, before there was the actual um, term AIDS or HIV, I can't imagine what it was like for them. I mean, the isolation would have been unbelievable, you know, um, particularly when even people like doctors and that didn't understand it. Uh, so, I mean, I'm grateful that I wasn't from that time. Uh, it was frightening enough as it was for me. But um, So, I mean, there there was kind of like a generation before me when it was still called GRID that, um, you know, we really we really do have to take some time to think about those people because, you know, there wasn't even AZT then or anything. And um, I can't imagine... You know how horrific it must have been for those people, and how alone they must have felt. You know, so um, yeah, I'm glad we've done what we have. In um in the bio that you sent that we have posted, um, you talk about in 1992 that you moved to a a, a small town, and you, we were talking about this on the phone earlier when we were speaking to confirm the interview. And mm. I didn't really know all that about like I read it, but I didn't. You got into more detail with it about how you. You can explain what happened, but I just have to tell you that it's very inspiring that you were able to have all those things and those negative people come at you and for you to turn it around and actually talk in front of all of them and educate them. So I just wanted to share a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, Well, it was uh, a small town of, I believe it was about 1,100 people, Um, kind of a tourist cottage town in an area of Ontario known as cottage country because it's... It's where cottages and trailer parks and stuff like that are. It's a very rural, redneck, if you will, type environment. Hey, now. <laughs> I live in, I, I'm That's living where I said, if south. you will. Let me tell you. We can compare notes on rednecks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anywho, back to, back to what you were talking about. I said it with a little bit of, of trepidation. However, um, <laughs> it was... Um, Let's just say that, you know, a gay HIV-positive man wasn't exactly somebody they were prepared to deal with. Uh, however, uh, that be it be as it was, uh, I had gone for a job. I was on disability, but I decided I'd take a part-time job because I'm out in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing to do. I'm bored silly. And uh, one of the local restaurants, I got uh, part-time work in there. And somehow, I'm not exactly sure how, but the owner of the restaurant had found out about my HIV status, and I was subsequently let go. This had also caused, pretty well everybody in town had found out, and uh, we had previously owned a restaurant in town, and one of the reasons that it had closed down, I found out later, was because people didn't want to go and eat in a restaurant where somebody with AIDS might, you know, was handling food, God forbid. And uh, it's, I started getting, uh, started to, to feel threatened. I had somebody uh, vandalize my car. Um, you know, I, I would get threats, 
shouted at me and all sorts of things like that. It was it was really frightening. It was like, you know, a movie of the week for me. You know, I, I just had this vision of, you know, the villagers wielding torches and <laughs> the, whole, the whole Frankenstein thing, right? Yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, I had a mortgage in that, so I wasn't about to pack up and, you know, leave my house. And the local organization there, a place called Parn, it's a city called Peterborough, which is uh, in that area, Um, I had contacted them. I had actually been in contact with them. And and uh, one of the the volunteer coordinators there, her and I had worked on this plan to call a town meeting in this town. And um, so we, we did that. We made the arrangements. Actually, they made more of the arrangements and uh, we had a, actually a, a local doctor and a couple of other guest speakers and, and stuff like that, and we did that. And the local newspaper was there and, you know, the villagers, as it were. And uh, it was really terrifying. <laughs> I was like, you know, I, I was almost afraid to walk to, you know, walk to my car afterwards. And uh, it went really, really well, and it was I think largely just a lot of people up there figured this is not something that's going to affect us in our little enclave, so we never gave it any thought. You know, they figured this is something that happens in Toronto or Montreal or New York, or, you know, it doesn't happen in the little town of Fenland Falls. And um, it actually seemed to reach them, and I got a really beautiful, um, the, the editor of the newspaper wrote a really nice editorial um, about me and, and saying, you know, that our community consists of all sorts of people and people that are gay and people that are HIV positive are a part of our community and HIV is nothing more than a virus. It is not God's punishment. You know, just basically, you know, spelled that out. And, I mean, I was so grateful, <laughs> you know. Right. And uh, I called the editor up and, uh, you know, uh, I, I just, I was so grateful. I just, I thanked him and... He said, well, you know, he said, uh, I lost a couple of subscriptions, but I don't really care. <laughs> so, I mean, I kind of had some legitimacy behind me, I guess. And Do you uh, still have a copy of that for yourself? Yeah, I do. I, I have yeah. a scrapbook of all sorts of stuff. I've actually been doing speaking for, I guess, about 18 years now. And uh, wow. so it's it's all, I think it's all just part of the learning curve, you know. Uh, up until then, the idea of HIV in a rural area was something that had never crossed my mind. And I wasn't planning on it being public knowledge up there, but inadvertently it happened. You know, so it was, um, I guess I, I'm glad it, it that I was able to do, I, I had no idea what to do when it happened. You know, I, I just thought, you know, do I just curl up in a corner and just try and keep a low profile or, you know, and... Uh, I guess I'm kind of glad that I took that step, and I'm I'm certainly hoping it, it it sort of proved to me that yeah you know what maybe maybe I have a good weapon here, you know, um, and education is a powerful tool, so it um, it worked out quite well. It takes a lot of courage to do something like that, especially when you're you're you fear your own life and to to get up in front of the people that you fear, you know, and yeah. to talk it just that takes a lot of courage. I thought at the time it was just insanity. (laughs) I thought, okay, you know what, dementia is setting in. This is obvious, you know. Um, I guess, you know, I guess maybe it did. And I I didn't really think of it until afterwards, Um, Mm -hmm. you know. uh, But I think it was something that was sort of meant to happen because it built built a a bigger fire in me, you know. So, um, I mean, instinctually... There are so many other things you would want to do to combat that that would probably just make it worse, you know, lashing out, so on and so forth. Um, and I guess I'm I'm really kind of proud that I took that step, um, and it did work out for the best. Because I really I really didn't expect that it was going to have a positive uh, ending, not not to that degree anyway. You know, I, mm-hmm. I thought I was going to be you know ducking flying objects while I was at the podium, and <laughs> I had all sorts of things. I didn't sleep at all the night before. <laughs> thinking, you know, do I have to keep keep my eye on where all the exits are and, you know, that kind of stuff. But so it, it, what, how do you think that um, your coming out publicly has shaped your life today? Um, it's 
well, it's built a lot of confidence within me. Um, I, I am, I'm finding I'm capable of things that 15, 20 years ago I never thought were possible. Um, it also, a lot of people that are HIV positive, and I think it's because of a lot of society's attitudes, there's that, that undercurrent or sometimes more than undercurrent of feeling of shame or this is something I have to keep hidden, you know, uh, which is not great for your self-esteem. I think the fact that I don't have to feel that way now, um, I can actually stand up and say, you know what, this is me, I have this, and if you have a problem with it, don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> you know, I didn't have that kind of you know, drive at one time. So I think that's really, um, it's empowering, because you know, I don't feel like anybody holds anything over my head or you know, um, stuff like that. And I'm not saying everybody should you know, do that. That's not a model for everybody, but that's what works for me is the fact that, you know, somebody were to go up and say, oh, well, you know, he's, he's HIV positive, or he is, you know, uh, say that to uh, somebody who's associated with me, you know, you get that satisfaction of them saying, yeah, I know, so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's kind of nice. It's, it takes a lot of pressure off, because I did go through, you know, when I first moved into that small town was that fear of somebody finding out, because it would have been the end of the world. You know, so it's kind of interesting how when you're first diagnosed, I mean, you said you know now you 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 know gain confidence and and things of that nature, but when you're first diagnosed, it kind of rips you up all that, you know what oh. I mean? And, and and year by year, you have to learn how to get it back and like to love yourself again and and to to just find yourself all over again because it's basically be, you have to reinvent yourself because now you are somebody who's living with HIV. And and you have to now you know change things in your life so it affects you know your status in the right way. So oh, I, yeah. I think it's neat how you yeah. say that it gave you more confidence. Yeah, I mean it wasn't it wasn't a smooth transition by any means. Right. But it's um, you have to try and find some way um, to make it uh, how would I put it to make it not be you know a burden. I mean, it, it is going to be to a degree. I mean, who likes eating their weight in pills every day? Unless it's for fun. <laughs> but, no, who, who, who really wants that? <laughs> I am just kidding. <laughs> and, yes, my, my twisted oh, sense funny. of humor, I think, has got me through a lot, too. <laughs> that always helps. You know, I, you know I, I think it's what I think is funny is that, um, that the more HIV-positive people that I meet, um, I find that we all share, besides the virus, we all share this twisted sense of humor. Because oh, yeah. uh, I, I personally, I think that with, without laughter, there is no living and no loving. So, and, oh. and we all have to laugh. Oh, for sure. To, to heal, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So you're, in, you're still in this small town in Canada. Oh, not Canada. now. No. no, you're not anymore. No, no, no. I'm no. for all intents and purposes. I'm in Toronto. I'm in suburban Toronto. Oh, you're suburbia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I did the the village thing, but I just sort of reached the age where you know what? I I I, I don't want to worry about whether I have abs or my butt looks okay or any of that kind of stuff. I just want to go to the suburbs and be a middle aged guy. <laughs> so <laughs> I even so drive what? a minivan. Okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> no yeah. minivan. So suburban, you're, suburban you're a health vehicle. How's your health today? I mean, because I know that you're co-infected, like like you, I'm co-infected with with hepatitis C. Right. So you went through not just HIV being HIV positive, but finding out that you have hepatitis C. But you also took the step and did the interferon. Yeah. Treatments. Yeah. It, tell us, can, tell us about that and what what the what your experience is with having both HIV, hepatitis, and going through that treatment for hepatitis? Well, when I first, I had not expected it at all. I mean, this was, what, 2005, I believe, 2006. I mean, I was, I was already okay with the HIV thing. It's, I almost couldn't remember what it was like before I was HIV positive. It had been so long. And then um, I had graduated um, college to... Uh, become a social worker and one of the uh, 
things I had to do was I had to um, take, you know, hepatitis B shots and all that kind of stuff. You know, it was just part of the the um, uh, Ministry of Health guidelines, and they did all the tests in that. I had to get all that blood work done, and they had tested uh, me for hepatitis C. And the doctor called me in, and he told me, and it was like that that wave. It was like, didn't I go through this in 1989? You know, like it, it was sort of like reliving it again because this was a whole new thing. And like most of the population at the time, I thought that was, and I, I'm almost embarrassed of, of my na- naivete, uh, that this was really just uh, injection drug use that, that had caused this, which I've, I've never done injection drug. I'm afraid of needles. <laughs> so it was, I, I was stunned. And then I was referred to a specialist in this and had, um, I, we had discussed the um, uh, interferon, and they had to do more tests, the geno- genotype and, and so on and so forth, to see if I was a candidate. And I was told what the percentages were, uh, that you know there was a 20 per- 20% chance that I could be cleared of the virus, and I have so small it's negligible. On um, your own? Yeah. Yeah, clear it out on your own. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah. And there's the possibility of the interferon clearing it, which is a mm-hmm. small percentage. And I thought, you know, okay, but, you know, and he said it, it could at least, you know, arrest it a little bit, you know, slow it down. And there wasn't that much information as far as things like side effects and that. It was pretty vague. And there wasn't a lot of, um, there weren't a lot of, I mean, even um, aid service organizations, what they could offer you was very limited, um, and I don't know why. Hep C has been around for a while, but it just didn't seem to be much of a focus. So I, I discussed it with my partner and a couple of friends, and uh, you know, I was really, I was still reeling from the shock of the actual diagnosis. But you know, I was told the sooner you do this, the better, yep. um, in terms of of you responding. So um, I kind of, you know sort of got the idea, okay, you know, what's going to happen? I'm going to lose some of my hair, I'll drop some weight, which I was good with at first, and, you know, there might be a few problems, but I'll be fine. And uh, the only thing was giving myself a needle really kind of creeped me out. Um, So I had started it, and then the, uh, the side effects weren't too bad for the first, you know, four or five months. I mean, I didn't feel great, and, you know, I didn't look terrific, but... The last couple of months of it, uh, well, for the last month, I couldn't walk without assistance. Um, and it really affects your brain. Um, you, I, was, I was having terrors, like I was having these horrible night terrors. And it, it, it affects, seems like it affects everything, your body, your mind, everything. And um, I, was, uh, I was actually, when I, when I talk to people now, I say, you know, if you're going to go on interferon, talk to all of your friends and everybody you're associated with and apologize to them in advance because, you know, you're going to make the most menopausal person seem like, you know, an angel, uh, <laughs> which is true. Uh, <laughs> mood swings like you wouldn't believe. I mean, I, I couldn't get a jar of pickles open, and I had an unbelievable tantrum over it. I just flew into a rage. You know, I mean, it was just ridiculous. And then um, things started happening, like I couldn't use the phone because I couldn't recognize numbers. I couldn't read anymore. I couldn't drive anymore. It was just, and it was scaring, it was scaring the devil out of me. It was, it was just, uh, it was frightening. You know, and, and aside from the, the physical stuff, um, you know, I kept falling down because it did actually damage some of the, uh, the nerves in my legs, uh, which... I, I think I, I've kind of resigned myself to sort of live with. I mean, I'm not unable to walk or anything now, but it's not like it was before. But as uh, I got through it and that, and then I found out that I was cleared of the virus, I thought, okay, you know what? It was worth it for me. And it, it's, I think that's really the only time where I felt my mortality was threatened. And it, 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 it does change your, pers- your perspective a lot. Um, I'm so incredibly thrilled to be alive, and I know it sounds cliche, but um, 
I think that that kind of played a part in, in confidence building in that too. I mean, you know, I've I've I, I don't take my, my health for granted now. You know, not not to the degree that I used to and um you know, if I have a headache, big deal. I don't complain so much about it now, you know, because I've experienced something a lot worse. You know, um, my partner works nights sometimes, and he came home from work. All of a sudden, he jumped on the bed, and he's, like, shaking me, and I'm like, what the hell is your problem? He thought I was dead oh. because I had a gray, gray color to me, and my breathing was really shallow. And I realized it doesn't just affect me. It affects those around me, too. It was, it was mm-hmm. terrifying to him. Wow. So it's I I want to start you know trying to get involved with helping people with making the decision to to go that route too because I didn't have a lot of information before I started you know um, I'm glad I did it but you know for somebody else it might not be the same you know yeah because I made the decision not to do it yet <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because of everything that you're describing and yeah. And as it is, I'm 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 mental anyway. So I mean, if you added that on top of it, it would I I would be a living nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so how, how what are the results today? Where where does where's your Hep C stand? There's no signs of it. There are no That's signs of it. Awesome. That is and just it's amazing. amazing. What three years now? And, oh, that uh, is good for you. Congratulations. Oh, thank that you. Is so hard. <laughs> it's oh. it's uh, yeah. Uh, Did when you do you the full 48 weeks or? Yeah. He had suggested near the end, uh, you know, just to, to increase your chances, we might do it, you know, another three months. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> are you high? <laughs> no. I, if this doesn't work too bad, it's a bad experience. I'm not going through this anymore. Uh, my friends are pretty patient, but I'm really pushing my luck with them. You know, it's uh, No. <laughs> But uh, it's as it turned out, it was better for me in the end. But um, now some people don't have those, uh, like the side effects to that degree, and I think that was what the real complex part of it was. <coughs> Excuse me, was that um, you know the the side effects were so varied, and the extremity of, uh, extremities of the side effects were so varied from person to person that it made it difficult for me to be clear on it, and I kind of really had to sort of get other people to sort of help me with this decision because, you know, it wasn't just a black-and-white, you know, thing. And, uh, well, thank God for my friends and uh, my partner because I wouldn't have got through it myself. I, I can honestly say as as resilient as I am, I would not have gotten it through, through it myself. It was uh, It was not a pleasant experience, but in my nature, I try to you know, do something with it, you know, so. I think you're amazing. Just real quick, um, for the people out there listening, um, if you'd like to call in and have a comment, and uh, speak with Steve, you can give us a call at 347-215-9442. I'll put the number in the chat room. Um, we have about 10 minutes left, so you guys, we could probably get one or two calls in. Again, if you want to call in, it's 347-215-9442. So what are you doing right now, Steve, like, do you go out and do a lot of speaking now? Actually, I've just finished taking some time off from it, um, and I'm just sort of getting myself reinvolved. involved uh, The organization near where I am now, um, I'm just getting on their, <clears throat> excuse me, on their volunteer roster. Um, so I, I want to start doing a little bit more speaking because it seems that there's becoming uh, sort of a there's a gulf in, in it because I'm, I'm running into a lot more people now that are so unbelievably uneducated. Uh, mm-hmm. That worries me. You know, that, that really kind of concerns me because I think it just seemed to drop off. It was, I mean, everybody was doing it for a while and then it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's not, you'll pardon the crassness of it. It's not the disease du jour. You know, it's, it's not the, uh, the uh, issue of the week sort of thing. Um, so there isn't as much attention being paid towards it. Um, and I want to actually get into doing some kind of peer counseling and mentoring. Um, That's great. I have a caller here on the line, so I'm going to bring them on. Caller, um, where are you calling from and what's your name? This is Lonnie, and I'm calling from Ohio. Hi, what's your Hi. name? 
And uh, <clears throat> I want to kind of relate to where he's at. I found out I'm hep C positive too. Decided to go through the clinical trial, and they found out that you can't have AZT in your regimen. And so they took me from 175 pounds to 105 pounds, and I do understand the mental issues that it brought up also. So it's kind of good to hear someone else talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long have you, uh, or how long, like where are you in the treatment? How long have you been on it? I was on, only allowed on 18 weeks, and uh, they couldn't keep me enough red blood cells, so they had to pull me off of, the, off oh. of it altogether. But I, am but I am non-detectable. Oh, well, that's, so I, well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a battle from hell. I tell people all the time that you know that I talk to. I said, make sure you when you get ready to do this, you have a good mindset because it really screws with you. It's really bad. Well, <laughs> it's it's frightening. It really is. It's it's you know everything that's sort of kept you grounded through your life just seems to be pulled away. It's uh, it's it sounds though that you're doing well. So that's that's great, but you yeah, know, it is. It's it took a while. I mean, I <clears throat> had to go to counseling. I, you know, I never had suicidal thoughts. I've been positive since '83, and mm-hmm. never thought about the end of my life. But it, this was the one time that I found myself standing, knowing the one pill I could take, I couldn't come back from, mm-hmm. and uh, that's when I got scared. And I mm-hmm. called the doctor and said, "We got these thoughts." And I, yeah, like I said, I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, HIV was walking the park compared to what you know you go through this Hep C treatment. So yeah, I mean, oh, we're walking the park. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's it is it is very difficult, and you know, I certainly wouldn't jump in line to do it again. No, no, <laughs> I tried to start back up after it took me off, and uh, I, it kind of immediately sent me back into that mindset of uh, what I went through before. And uh, so they just said, we're not going to go any further. It's affecting your quality of life. And and you know what? I mean, I would rather have, personally, I would rather have, you know, six months of quality of life than 15 years of hell. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Amen, brother. Uh (laughs) Thank you for calling in from Ohio. That's all right, guys. Hang in there, too. Good luck to you. And I have another caller here, so I'm going to oh. bring them on in a second. Okay. Area code 904, where are you calling from, and what's your name? Hey, Robert, it's Teddy Dab. How are you doing, bud? Good, Dab. How are you, man? Doing great. I just wanted to call and say hello to Steve and thank him for coming on and sharing his experiences as a long-term survivor. Oh. Um because as we dis- Robert and I have discussed, so many people have tested positive since the new drugs came out that it's, it's even more important that those of us that were positive from the beginning of this disease share with people what it was like so they become active so we don't have it happen again. Yeah, exactly. There, there's a lot of complacency because it, it's, it's almost like people will have the idea that, hey, we got it licked. You know, it's like diabetes. You take insulin, you're fine. It's not like that. You know, and well, well, and it's gotten easy for us to hide. Uh, we don't have the side, the, as many side effects as we did as far as lipodystrophy and wasting. And people that haven't had to go through what some of us old-timers did with going to the funerals every week or watching all our friends die. So I think that's been a big contributor to the lack of activism also. Yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to have that sense of urgency. But, you know, um, it, it bothers me when I see statistics that, you know, new infections are on the rise. It just, it, it almost feels like everything my de- generation has done has been undone. And, oh, uh, I, I totally understand. You know, and, and being one of those newly, well, recently diagnosed, and I can say recently, I was uh, four years ago, I had to mm-hmm. count backwards. When did I get diagnosed? I got diagnosed when I was 30. <laughs> so it's, you know, coming through it in my, and I hate to say my generation, but mine and Robert's, mm-hmm. sorry, Robert, you're in my generation. Now I am. <laughs> but, um, Damn it, one a week. <laughs> I'm telling you, now that you're 30, um, those of us who are 30 to, I would say, 
38, you know, in that maybe 28 to 38 in that 10 year. It's amazing because the attitude is, well, AIDS, HIV, that's an old man's disease. Yeah. We're not getting that anymore because, like Dab said, it's because we can hide. Yeah. Where where it's not so visible anymore. It's and not like the the you know back in the Rock Hudson days. You exactly. Know, somebody because lying in a hospital bed with tubes up their nose and everything. It's, the, yeah. The 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 um the the reply that you get back is, well, I'll just take a pill for that. And you'll also see um, there was this whole hype uh, about I would say about 18 months ago over taking I think it was Tenavir, um as a party drug. They would oh. take an HIV medicine to before they went out, mm-hmm. and they would party all night, have unprotected sex, but because they were taking the HIV medicine, mm-hmm. there was some thought that you could have unprotected, unprotected sex and mm-hmm. be protected against HIV if you were taking this, was it Tenavir? I can't remember, but it was, one, it was an HIV med. Mm-hmm. Even if you were negative, you were taking this as a prophylactic, if you will, a, pre- uh, a um, preventative. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. I have one more caller on the line, so I want to bring them on. Area code 619, what's your name and where are you calling from? Hey, this is JC San Diego. Hey, Hi, JC. Hey, JC. How are you, <laughs> How are you guys doing? <laughs> I have one quick question because I know you guys are about to, um, about to log off. Um, what... What do you find the most difficult in dealing with your HIV from both a, a mental and physical standpoint, and how do you, how do you deal with it? Oh, boy. Um, the physical standpoint, uh, right now I'm finding, because I'm getting into the, the older age group, um, there's something called andropause, which is actually male menopause, which men tend to go through when they get into their 60s. It um, used to be called midlife crisis. Um, years on um, uh, protease inhibitors causes that to come early. So I get, you know, like the the sweats and the hot flashes and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I kind of joke a lot about it. That's That seems to be my way of dealing with a lot of things. Uh, I don't know if that's <laughs> mentally healthy or what, but um, I think... Uh, Really, I, I, I have to say, other than that and fatigue, health-wise, I'm really lucky. Uh, mentally, um, I've, I've just become, I, I don't know if I would say comfortable with it, but used to it, uh, because mm-hmm. it's been 20-plus years. Uh, I think the only time it really becomes a problem is when I see a lot of attitudes that are really not that are really not very open-minded or, or good in, in terms of mainstream uh, with people that are HIV. I mean, there are still people who think, you know, somebody who's HIV positive shouldn't use a public bathroom, you know, these kind <laughs> of things. Right. Uh, and how I deal with it, uh, depending on how, I'm, how invested I am with the person in question, uh, generally, you know, like to say to them, you know, don't, don't come up with a theory before you have some concrete evidence. Right. Well, Steve, we're winding down, and I didn't mean to cut you off. We need a longer show, Jeremy. <laughs> it always happens like this. We get down to the last couple of minutes, and I don't want to get off the phone, but um, we, we have to. So, um, Steve, I want to thank you so much for, for calling in and sharing your story with us. It really, Oh, my pleasure. Really, really helpful for a lot of people because there's a lot of different parts in your story that you know, people can take with them. So mm-hmm. I want to thank you for calling in. Oh, it's my pleasure completely. Thanks, Steve. It was great and to talk to you. And have, you can have a great night, Steve. I will, and you guys too. And I'll see you online. All, all right. right. Thanks. And remember, folks, you can now find more about Steve, Jeremy, and I all at posim.com, and you can go to Jeremy's blog at positivelyspeaking.com. I'll put that in the, in the chat. Um, we're down to the last 30 seconds. Just real quick, if you guys um, – well, you know what? I'm not even going to talk about it. I'll wait. Upcoming oh. is coming up next week. I'll save it for the next show. Uh, next, this Wednesday, June 3rd, we have Mark um, Olmstead coming on, and he's going to talk about being HIV positive and being um, in prison. And then on June 7th, 
Jeremy, we're going to sit with Nina Martinez, who is a woman who, she's actually a twin. She's a twin sister, and she had a blood transfusion when she was a little girl, and she infected HIV, but her sister does not have it. So I think that'll be an interesting story for, you know, our women callers and other people to tune in. Don't you? Absolutely. All right, and I want to thank everybody Can't for wait. calling in. And we will see you next Sunday. Have a great day. All right. Have a a good week, everybody. Thanks. Bye-bye.